sometimes it can be heavy work dealing with so many personalities and having so many emotional needs in addition to having you know your own personal life make sure that you put your breathing mask on first you know if you want to affect change in your community and on the school level you have to be the best you can possibly be and sometimes being the best means taking a step back and breathing Support for this podcast is brought to you by Forward Digital Productions, a new age multimedia production company specializing in video production, photography, and motion graphics. They believe in producing the most innovative and creative media productions for their customers. They have years of experience shooting weddings, portraits, commercials, events, and more. Please visit the website at www.goforwarddigital.com and enter the offer code DM3 for 10% off your next photo session booking. This is the M3 Conversation, and I am Devontae Brown, and today we are having a conversation with Jamisha Crenshaw. So Jamisha is from Birmingham, Alabama, and a 2010 graduate from Jefferson County International Baccalaureate School. After graduation, she attended Auburn University, where she graduated in 2014 with a degree in public relations communications. Jamisha now resides in Houston, Texas, working as a seventh grade English language arts teacher and public relations practitioner. And today, we'll be discussing her career and involvements in teaching. Uh, So, Jamisha, we really appreciate you joining us today. Well, hello, Dee. Thank you so much for having me um, on M3. I'm super excited to share my experience as an educator um, and to just kind of share more about what exactly it is that I do and how I've gone about my journey in the education field. Well, good, good. And I appreciate you being here. So, you know, let's jump right into it. You know, so when you were a young student in school, you know, is where you're at today what you always thought that you'd be doing? So um, did I always think I was going to be a teacher? Absolutely not. I did, however, know that I wanted to be in a profession where I had the opportunity to talk. Um, And I also knew that I wanted to be able to demonstrate uh, different things to people. So I absolutely didn't know um, in what capacity that would be in. Um, I thought that I would be going into public relations um, and, and kind of just going straight through corporate but my path didn't exactly turn out that way and I'm very thankful to have found education um, because I find it to be very rewarding okay so let's get so let's kind of step through you know some of the things that you were involved in uh, that kind of led you to the path of teaching you know what got you interested in it and you know what kind of kept you focused on it Yeah, great question. So um, at Auburn University, one of the best things about 
attending Auburn is that we are strongly encouraged to be involved within our community. Civic engagement is huge at Auburn University. And so having been a member of uh, the Black Student Union and participating in so many uh, community uh, events, it kind of pushed me towards developing my civic engagement um, as a leader and as a professional. And so um, as my involvement at Auburn University unfolded, um, I came across Teach for America. And Teach for America is a nonprofit organization that is uh, aimed at ending educational inequity. And so that is kind of how I got my start with education. I actually worked with Teach for America in two different capacities before becoming a teacher through Teach for America. Um, and so just learning um, what all was happening uh, within the education system uh, throughout our nation, even throughout the world, kind of um, instilled a fire within me and a passion to kind of bridge that gap because I truly believe that no matter um, what a child's zip code is, they deserve the right to a fair quality education. Okay, and so you spoke a little bit about getting involved with teaching uh, for America and school. So was that like an internship or, you know, can you talk about it a little bit? Sure. So the first capacity that I worked with Teach for America in was a fellowship. Um, I did the Rising Leaders Fellow. Uh, I was a Rising Leaders Fellow, excuse me. And so essentially what I did was created a blueprint for a nonprofit organization that was aimed at um, closing the educational uh, inequity gap. And so my blueprint was for an organization called um, Walk the Walk. And essentially what I would have been doing was working with rural or inner city teenagers to help them develop personal skills, personal soft skills, um, that would help them with their motivation, with their confidence, and would help them in um, advancing their careers as well as with advancing their um, education. Because what I've found is that um, how we perceive ourselves is a big part of how we carry ourselves. So if we're confident or if we're motivated by who we are intrinsically, um, that communicates a message to the world um, as to who we are and so that's what I was aiming at doing with um, the blueprint for my nonprofit. Um, and then secondly my other position with Teach for America um, I was an operations coordinator so I went to Auburn University or attended Auburn um, and majored in public relations communications and at the time that I was completing this internship I was looking for um, more training in the event planning side. So this gave me some insight in kind of the event planning, HR um, sides of education. Okay, so that's a that's a great kind of walkthrough of what that internship or fellowship progression looked like. Uh, and you spoke about blueprints for nonprofits, so I might need to tap you on some of those resources. So. Um, so uh, kind of transitioning into kind of your full-time job and how you got positioned in Houston, um, did, did your internship or fellowship play directly into your role that you have today, or, or how did that process work? 
Yes, so I believe that it did since I worked with the company um, two years prior to applying to um, be a teacher through Teach for America. Um, I was kind of familiar with the ropes. And, you know, for anyone that's listening, I do encourage you, if you have a vested interest in a company um, or an organization that you truly want to be a part of, I encourage you to find a way to either volunteer for that organization or intern for that organization um, prior to applying for a full-time or part-time job with them because once they they know you or, or kind of heard about you, it gives you better leverage when you're trying to um, be a part of that organization. So uh, for me, I definitely believe my participation with them prior to Applying to become a teacher uh, with them played a, a role in me being a teacher in Houston. Um, now, can I say for 100% certainty that that's how I ended up in Houston? No, because Teach for America is a lot like the Peace Corps and that you sign up for the different areas that you want to live in. But at the end of the day, they have the ultimate choice on deciding where you will move and help to close the, the education gap. Um, and so I was lucky enough to be placed in Houston, Texas, the most diverse city in the United States of America. And I'm really excited about that. So that's that's, that's good. And you, you hit on something else about it being diverse, but I'm going to come back to that later. So you okay. talked about um, you talked about, you know, kind of you signed up for, you know, your top cities and, you know, it just kind of played out that you ended up in Houston. Um, so what about the, sub the subject that you ended up teaching? How, how does that typically play out for you to get chosen to, to you know, teach math versus science versus language arts? You know, how, how does that kind of play out? With Teach for America, a large percentage of the teachers that they are training um, to become educators do not come from a traditional education background. Um, and so I was one of those teachers. Uh, like I stated, I went to Arbor University for public relations communications. Um, and I also had a concentration in Spanish. So what Teach for America does is align your skills or your skill sets um, with different subjects. So because I was a public relations major and um, I show great interest in literacy and reading I was chosen to be a reading teacher now I have some friends who went to school to be um, engineers or to be uh, to work in science labs so of course they're biology teachers or they're working in some way in the science department at their schools um, so it's, it's basically kind of what you went to school for so for me I had a practical application of uh, the English language arts and so they put me in in uh, ELA or English language arts because that's what my educational background was. So that, that's interesting. That's, uh, that seems like a pretty good way to do it. Um, a pretty good way to get people involved into things that, you know, they would already be involved in on the front end. <clears throat> um, it's funny because, you know, you, you talked about you had friends that did engineering. And I know sometimes I look back at some of the math that I've taken and up to this point now, I can't remember how to do half of that stuff. So <laughs> they might be in bad shape <laughs> if I had to teach math. And so I, I think, you know, part of that, 
you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, may not know or, or you know, I didn't know until we started talking about it. You know, um, Teaching for America has a lot of benefits. And I know one of the things it helps out with is some of your uh, student loans uh, that that you accumulate while going through college. Can you can you speak to that any? Absolutely. So um, while you are a member of Teach for America, if you get accepted, you will also become a member of AmeriCorps. Um, which again is tied to or similar to the Peace Corps. So um, while I am a, a government um, employee because I work for the state as an educator, I'm also a government employee uh, with AmeriCorps. Or when I had my contract with Teach for America, I was also a uh, um, government, um, excuse me, a government employee with AmeriCorps. So what happens is AmeriCorps members. Um, have some benefits and one one of those benefits is that we received six thousand dollars per year um, to go towards our educational expenses whether it be um, you know I want to get my master's degrees well your money can go towards that or um, I need to pay off my tuition um, or or any of my loans you could take that money and put it towards that so it's money that you'll never get in your hand but it's extremely beneficial because you can use it for higher education you can also use it to pay off undergraduate loans awesome so that's a that's another added benefit you know to to doing that teaching for america um so you know one of the things that you talked about you, know, you so you spoke a little bit about those benefits so can, can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of somebody you know maybe was in a different major and they got they ended up you know getting interested in teaching and joining teaching for america but they didn't necessarily have that background that people who went to school to be an educator got so can you speak to kind of the pros and cons of the differences between those two uh career paths what i would say because i i do have um sorority sisters and friends who went to school for the traditional uh education path and then there are people like me of course i know myself and then um some other friends that i have that did something called an alternative certification um i will say that the pros of um having gone to school for education is that you have that um, legal background because in education, the law is extremely important. Knowing the law as an educator um, for yourself, for your parents and for your students is extremely important. And so because, you know, you've gone to school for four years and you've studied uh, that law, it kind of gives you some leverage when you're going into your new job. You also have had an opportunity to be in a classroom and teach students on your own and to serve under uh, a mentor teacher for an entire semester versus someone who's done an alternative certification. Generally, you're being mentored while you're working in the classroom. So there are pros and cons to that, especially um, as it pertains to where you are in your life. Um, I know myriad people who 
you know, they're at this time, they're late 20s, early 30s, and they don't want to go back to school and start, you know, all over again. So they find that the alternative certification is very beneficial because you can have a job as an educator. Of course, you'd have to um, pass your certification tests first, um, but you can have a job as an educator while being mentored um, on how to be a teacher. So there are definitely pros and cons to that. I myself had a, a huge learning gap when I got into education because I was trying to pump myself with knowledge to make sure I was doing my very best uh, for my students. But realistically, um, whether you went to school for education or you got an alternative certification, your first year um, is, is going to be a mess. Uh, for lack of a better term, any person's or any educator's first year as a teacher, it's just going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to learn how to navigate the waters um, with dealing with uh, so many different personalities in one day with uh, what seems like a never-ending list of things to do, learning laws that you're not familiar with, um, learning how to work with a team, learning how to work with administrators, also learning how to merge your view or perspective on what a classroom should be versus what your administrator wants your classroom to look like. So, you know, and that's not to scare anybody away who wants to be a teacher, but I'm just sharing realistically that it doesn't matter which field or which way you get into education, it's all going to be the same and it's all going to be a learning curve. But the more you work at it, the better that you will become as an educator. So that's a, that's a good point. You know, we all, you know, regardless of what you were trained to do in school, you know, there's always learning on a job to do, you know, whatever your specific tasks are for that job. Um, Absolutely. And so one of the things, you know, I feel like may be pretty difficult is, you know, the duty that's put on teachers or the responsibilities that's put on teachers um, to extend the teaching beyond the classroom. Uh, can you talk mm -hmm. about some of your dealings with, you know, having to teach beyond the classroom, mentor these students? Yes, uh, I'd love to speak on that. So, you know, in education, we wear so many hats. I'm sure you've heard and other people have heard that teachers do so much. And it, that is the truth. We do do a lot. Sometimes I'm mom. Sometimes I'm dad. Sometimes I'm a counselor. Sometimes I'm a doctor. Um, sometimes I'm a friend. Sometimes I'm a tutor. So, you know, working with students beyond what you teach them in the classroom is essential. That's just an essential part of the job. It's a key function of being a teacher. Um, in fact, I find that uh, just from my own experience um, in school, I learned best from the teachers that taught me beyond the curriculum. Um, and so I try to make sure I do the same for my students. And one thing that students notice is whether or not someone is fake. So I'm never going to go into a class or go into a school and do something that is uh, unlike myself. And I think for anyone that is uh, going to be working with students or wants to be an educator, um, the best way to 
um, really immerse yourself in mentoring your students beyond the classroom is sharing with your students your strong points and even being willing to share some of some of your weaknesses because vulnerability is key with students. I mean, that doesn't mean go tell them all of your business because there is still a professional boundary there. But it does not hurt to let students know that you are a human being. And one of the ways that I do that is um, by finding uh, key connections between my students and myself. Um, so at my previous school, I was a ninth grade um, reading teacher. Um, and then I was the ninth grade uh, ESL newcomer teacher. And what I found that worked best with connecting with my students was talking about things that I care about, like politics, like um, my hair, like who I watched on the BET Awards or who had the cutest outfit. Um, I even, so like I said, with hair, that was a big thing for my students and I. Um, having taught predominantly um, Latino and African-American students, um, it was important for me to let them know that, you know, who they are matters and what they represent is just as important as anyone else. So, you know, I would go out of my way to make sure my students knew that I cared about who they were and what they represented. Even so much so as if, you know, a student came to me and was like, Ms. Crenshaw, I need my hair redone. Like, I would stay after school and do sew-ins if, you know, if a student asked me to just because I want students to be prideful in who they are. And I also want students to know, you know, I'm a real person too. And, you know, I understand those are things that need to be handled. So, like I said, we, we wear many hats. Um, we do many things as educators. And I think that's the rewarding part of it is that you can find ways to connect with students on a real level that they take away with them, you know, from the next grade and beyond. Well, that's good. That's good that you, you know, you spend that time investing into those students and making sure that they know and they understand that they matter. Um, Thank you. So on a, on a more lighter topic, and, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're talking kind of about global policies or national policies. So on a global scale, you know, one of the things that you see consistently is that our students are testing lower or, or farther behind the scale than some of the other countries, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the world. What do you think are some of the contributing um, our attributes to that? Yeah, so I am probably because I am a reading and writing teacher, I am huge on um, what qualitative data shows versus what quantitative data shows. And I think in our society, we are so focused on numbers from standardized tests that we are missing um, what students really need to be educated. So I am a fan of kind of the old school learning strategy where we I, I know that technology has its place in education. It's definitely needed um, to keep us on the up and up. But I'm huge on, you know, my students and I sitting on the floor together, you know, sitting on a rug and talking through concepts and um, just really going old school with what I teach um, simply because I think we've strayed away from how it used to be. And sometimes um, we reinvent the wheel when it's 
we really shouldn't. And I think that's where we are in edu- with education. I think that we're behind because we're so focused on this quantitative uh, data and these numbers that we're not really looking at what it is that students need. And as a, a literacy specialist, a reading teacher, writing teacher, I have to say that our biggest lag is reading comprehension. So even though we're seeing uh, lower scores in math and science and the humanities, um, and so one might think, oh, well, what does reading have to do with that? Well, reading means several things. Beyond reading words or reading pages in a book, you have to know how to read a word problem. You have to know... um, Like even with math, when you read a number sentence, that's still reading because you have to comprehend what it is that you are seeing. Um, In science with biology, quite a bit of that is reading. Even when you're paying attention to a graph, you have to know how to read a graph. And so because our reading comprehension and our literacy is low, that is what is throwing students behind. And that's why we're seeing um, a lag in our quantitative data because we're not spending enough time focused on literacy and that kind of qualitative information that students need um, to advance their, their literacy rates. So that's and that's a great point, you know, and as you move up through, you know, I don't think I did any single line math problems in college. It turned into paragraphs of information that I needed to read and digest and formulate, you know, whatever my calculations needed to be. And if you're already behind on your reading comprehension skills, that's putting you at a slower test taking time uh, behind everybody else in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just as a tip for again, for anyone that is listening, um, if you have a child, if you have a niece, a nephew, brother, sister, someone close to you, I encourage you to start reading to the child uh, immediately in vitro in, in the stomach. Start reading to the child because research shows that children that are read to at um, their foundational ages are able to retain um their literacy rates as they get older or their literacy level um and so we just have to make that a, a major focus and a priority in our in our country uh an, another part to that is we're kind of seeing a vicious cycle if you will because um in the past students especially um students of color or students based on um so with socioeconomic disadvantages because their parents may have not finished school or may have not um, fully received the resources they needed to um, read sufficiently or read efficiently, that's going to translate into what happens to the next generation of kids. So it's also an issue with um, gaps that have that have happened in the past that are kind of spilling over into present day. But I'm a firm believer that all of that can be um, solved, but it's just going to take our um, politicians and our community leaders um, and our educators to kind of, you know, really band together um, for the betterment of, of all students' uh, literacy. So that's a that's a good that's a good insight as well. 
Um, so, you know, and you spoke to about, you spoke a little bit about getting the kids involved in reading as early as possible. So what are some of the tricks to the trade that you do to get your students involved in reading? I know for me, when I was younger, you know, I, I really didn't care about reading. You know, I already knew I wanted to do something with math. And, you know, I never did spend that time when I was younger because nothing really, really sparked my interest uh, that, that got me interested in reading. So how do you try to keep your kids interested? That's a great question. So um, during my first year of teaching, I went through a, it was almost like a, a reading fellowship um, for reading teachers. So I had about six months of coaching on, you know, how to develop readers. And one of the biggest takeaways um, that I had was making sure students have high interest books or high interest reads and also uh, understanding that not all students are going to read chapter books or would even desire to do that. So I bring in um, a variety of mediums for uh, or media, excuse me, for students to read. So whether it is, you know, read on your laptop or here, here are some magazines. And then when I do get magazines, I go out of my way to make sure I find as much variety in my magazines as I possibly can because I'm huge on students um, having mirrors. So if I'm working with um, black and brown students, I want to make sure that if I'm bringing them magazines, they're seeing people that look like them. So I do have... Um, different subscriptions to magazine um, companies and then I just kind of ask around for other people's magazines and I bring those to class and have students read them and so like for example if a girl doesn't like to a young lady doesn't like to read um she might be super interested in fashion so if I give her a copy of Teen Vogue she's more likely to read it um if a young man doesn't like to read but he's really into motorcycles I might bring in a motorcycle magazine specifically for him and say hey I got this for you and so you know it's just really a trial and error type thing but it's mostly finding what it is that students like and introducing them to it um, and kind of making it spontaneous for them. And then for younger students, I always recommend um, just making sure that they know reading is everywhere. Um, and so if I'm riding in the car um, with a family member, I'm always saying, you know, oh, look, that's um, Chick-fil-A spelled, you know, and I'll spell it for them or this billboard says, so I just make sure that I find words everywhere and make it known that words will always have to read words will always have to learn. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's essentially what I do. I also find a lot of easy resources for parents who may not know where to go. If you have a Sam's or a Costco membership, they always have an endless amount of workbooks and supplies for students um, to to use, especially over the summer to keep them fresh and on the up and up. So that's kind of what I do to keep students um, interested and keep them invested in reading. That's great. So, yeah, that's that's very, you know, even with some of my nephews and my niece, you know, as we're riding along the road, that's one of the things, you know, 
Uh, they point out different things that they like. They don't they don't know how to spell McDonald's, but they know what that sign looks like. So you try to teach them, you know, how to sign out those letters and 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 get those words that they see commonly. So that's a great great insight. I'm sure any of some of the other teachers that are listening to this will pick some of those tools up that you that you spoke about. Thank you. So you know, one of the things that I know some other teachers do, and I think you do as well. Uh, you know, you have some downtime when you're teaching, like right now in summertime. I, I don't think you guys are in session right now. So what type of availability does teaching provide for you to have side jobs or other entrepreneurial investments while you're teaching? Yes. So um, one of the greatest things about teaching is even though uh, on the front end it requires um a lot of work to to prep for your students and to get your classroom ready um on the back side of that is once you get all of that handled you have um a lot of time to work on other endeavors and so right now um or this summer i actually started um, my own tutoring service and so that's what I'm doing over the summer I still have off time to um, do what I need to do but I have been spending uh, quite a bit of my time in the summer with developing my tutoring services and um, learning more about being an educator um, and then in addition to that I know you introduced me as um, being a PR practitioner um, because I do um, plan events on the side and I also kind of help small businesses uh, grow and help them develop um, and streamline their their business processes so teaching because I again I'm in my fifth year of teaching so I've kind of come to a point where um, you never stop learning but I'm comfortable um, in my position and what I'm capable of doing as a teacher so I've been able to manage my time to where I can develop myself as a teacher while also developing my own um, businesses so that you know I can grow uh, in other areas nice so, so that's a that's a good insight too. I know in today's age, you know, a lot of us millennials want to get involved, and everybody likes to have their own type of business. So it's good to know that that's the type of career that can somewhat allow for you to have those type of opportunities. Absolutely. So, you know, um, one of my last questions I'll ask you, you know, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give to anyone interested in getting involved in the teaching career field? Okay, so um, I would say my biggest piece of advice for anyone um, going in the education field or any field for that matter is make sure that you put your uh, your breathing mask on first. Just like if you are on an airplane and um, you know something, you know there there's an emergency and they say put your mask on. You don't put someone else's mask on. You put your mask on first. Um, And I say that because in education, it can be um, it can be difficult. It can be a strain. Um, It can be complex. Sometimes it can be heavy work dealing with so many personalities and so many emotional um, having so many emotional needs. Um, in addition to having, you know, your own personal life. 
But I recommend for anyone going into education, put your mask on first. Take care of yourself. Um, your work should be important, but your work should not define um, everything about who you are. So, um, you know, my biggest advice is if you are going to be an educator, take some off days. Don't try to work all the way through. Take some mental health days. Get and You know, if you need to go get a massage or if you want to treat yourself to ice cream or you just want to take a day off and sleep, that is okay because in the state of Texas, I'm sure it works the same way in just about every other state, you get 10 days off. Um, so use some of those days to, to you know, help yourself. Um, and just know that, you know, if you want to affect change, um, in your community and on the school level, you have to be the best you can possibly be. And sometimes being the best means taking a step back and breathing. So I think that would be uh, my biggest piece of advice. So I think that's that's great universal advice, you know, out of, out of any career that you have. I think a lot of us, especially everybody who, who wants to make an impact, who wants to do good, sometimes we end up burning ourselves out. Because we think we have to, we have to work every second of every day, and we don't ever take those mental health days to prepare ourselves and and repair ourselves and get ourselves ready for the next step. So I think I think that's great advice, you know, to anybody, uh, if you're, even if you're not in the teaching area, uh, you know, starting a job. I completely agree. All right, so Jamisha, that was a phenomenal conversation. Uh, I'm so glad you had the time to join us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time and appreciate you being here with us. Thank you so much, Dee, for having me with you today. Um, for anyone listening, I hope that you were able to take something away from what I had to share um, with my experience as an educator. If you'd like to get in contact with me about anything we've spoken on today, I can be reached at Misha.Crenshaw at gmail.com. That's Misha spelled M-E-C-I-A dot C-R-E-N-S-H-A-W at gmail.com. Um, and you can also add me on Instagram at M-B-C underscore 15. And thank you guys for listening. Unfortunately, we can't air all of the podcasts for forever, and we ran out of time. But Jamisha had some good information on the school-to-prison pipeline, gun control, and also the impact of immigration laws in the classroom. For more details around those topics, be sure to contact Jamisha or please visit the site, theM3.org, for more information or to see what else we have coming up. Uh, Also, please subscribe to the site and contact us with your feedback. If you are listening to this via the website, please head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Also, visit the donate page if you'd like to make a tax-deductible, charitable donation to help support our scholarship and outreach programs. You can also follow us on all social media at the M3 Foundation. Again, thank you guys for listening, and we look forward to having you next time. Here's a snippet of what we have on the next conversation. When I first started acting, my father told me that as long as I try, that he would be proud of me. He said if I never book a job ever, he would be proud of me for trying. And I think success for me is that. It's just not giving up.